This is Soul Saturations, the podcast, a transformational container to activate the light within you. I'm Kendall Merritt, your host and the founder of Soul Saturations. We are here to deeply connect with soul-centered sensuality and sexuality in relationships, business, and life so you can access your power and remember your true presence. All right, welcome back to another episode of Soul Saturations, the podcast. Today we have an incredible guest coming all the way from Australia. And before I introduce our guest today, I would like to just invite you into tuning into the container. So if you are able, take a couple moments to close your eyes. Take a few deep breaths and come into the present space. Feel the energy flowing through you and around you. As you come into the present moment, tune in to the gift of gratitude for being here now. At this time, we wanna call on our guides, our team, our angels, our ancestors to be present with us now. We ask for any energy that is no longer serving us, that is not of the highest, and that is contrary to what we are creating for ourselves and others, be cleansed, cleared, and released at this time. As we come back into our full presence and power, know that you can always come back to your breath and tune into your energy. We ask to be of the highest level of radical truth, love, and compassion at this time. When we do this in the name of epic transfer, transformation with love and with gratitude. And so it is. Mm. All right. Well, welcome back to another episode. Today we have an amazing guest. His name is Cam Frazier. He is Australia's leading sex coach, sexologist. And so I just want to say thank you so much for joining us and stepping into this container today, Cam. Yeah, thank you so much for having me and for, for having a platform to have um, conversations like this as well. It's um, really exciting for me to be here. Yeah, I love that. Well, we're super excited to have you. And so I would love for you to just jump right in and tell us a little bit about your background, who you are, how you've come to this space, and really what your mission is on the planet and how you bring that light onto the world. Sure. So um, I'll be as concise as I can be because this can be a <laughs> winding journey of a story. Um, but I, I studied psychology and philosophy over in uh, America, actually. I, I went over to the States when I was 17 years old um, from Australia. And uh, I, I went to a school, I went to university over there called, I actually won't name it, but it was in the uh, southern states it was in georgia it was in rural georgia like in the smack bang in the middle of atlanta and savannah for people that know their american geography Mm -hmm. um and the tagline of the school was unapologetically baptist it was very religiously conservative um as you probably can imagine in the in the bible belt of america and the um the class that i took there that really kind of sparked my interest in pursuing human sexuality in an academic sense was called Christian approaches to human sexuality. Um, And so because of this kind of conservative Christian slant to the human sexuality class that I took, there was a lot of shaming around premarital sex, for example. There was a complete lack of education around contraception and sexual health. Uh, There was uh, 
kind of the um, disavowing of homosexuality and any type of sex for pleasure. Sex was only for reproduction and procreation. Uh, and, and there was just a lot of guilt and, um, and, and people were taking on, young people, people you know, my age, 17, 18, 19, were taking on these messages. And I saw a lot of you know, young people in that community uh, in really unhealthy relationships. Uh, there was a lot of emotional and physical abuse actually in, in those young relationships. There was a lot of um, really early marriages, like 16, 17, 18 year old marriages. Um, and there was a lot of uh, unplanned pregnancies as well in this community. And I saw kind of all this happening you know, right before my eyes. I was friends with a lot of these people. You know, I, was, I was kind of putting all the pieces together like, whoa, this is kind of happening for these young people. And here's the education that they're getting around sex. And there's a huge um, parallel between those two things. Uh, so kind of a light bulb went off. I'm like, whoa, there's people out here that need education around sexual health and sexuality and how to express their sexuality and how to interact with people that they're attracted to and, and how to move sexual energy through their body. And I was one of those people. I needed that help as well. My, my mental health at the time was pretty, um, pretty bad, uh, I would say. And I was, I was there playing collegiate sport as well. So I was part of that kind of locker room um, fraternity, misogynistic culture of, of masculinity. Um, and so my relationships weren't very good. And, and I was kind of feeding into this uh, machismo style um, dominant masculinity type way of expressing myself as a man and the and so because of that because I you know, felt really conflicted by it I was I was drinking quite heavily again part of that college American college kind of scene um, was drinking quite a lot which is also affecting my health also affecting my mental health but what I kind of didn't really realize at the time was it was also all of this stuff was really affecting my sexuality and my sexual health and, and the way that I expressed my sexual desires to people. And so during that time, I was having a lot of issues with um, erectile dysfunction. I was having a lot of issues with premature ejaculation. I was having a lot of issues just communicating my sexual feelings and desires to the young women that I was being sexual with. And it wasn't until I seriously injured my back uh, by playing sport that I started to unravel all of those concerns and, and all those stories and narratives that I had about masculinity and sexuality. So I, I got stress fractures in my lower back and as part of my rehabilitation, I was introduced to clinical Pilates and I was also introduced to yoga. And so through those two modalities, those healing modalities, I was, for the first time in my whole life, really, I slowed down. I actually started breathing deeply into my belly, diaphragmatic breathing, started listening to how I was feeling, like physically feeling, noticing sensations in my body. And then also because I was kind of studying psychology and philosophy on the side as well, I understood that there was this crossover between physical feelings and physical sensations like tension and tightness and emotional sensations or emotional feelings like fear and anxiety and, um, and, and shame and pain. So mm -hmm. I started you know, releasing the physical tightness and tension uh, through practicing Pilates and yoga. But then I also started releasing all these emotional blockages and, and all this shame that I had around my sexuality and all this mental tension that I had about my masculinity it was all kind of coming to the surface as well. And I was starting to just like process that on a, on a um, 
somatic level as well. And so by doing that, I started like noticing that I was you know, not suffering so much from erectile dysfunction or I wasn't suffering so much from premature ejaculation. I was actually enjoying the sex that I was having. I was actually slowing down and I was actually feeling more comfortable in my own body. Um, and so by virtue of that, the young women that I was being sexual with kind of felt more comfortable in their body because there wasn't that like rush to, to, to get an end goal or, or to have that kind of, you know, real tense experience. So my sex life ended up, you know, improving. So I was like, well, there's this, you know, interesting thing happening between the, the body-based side of things, which is that kind of yoga mm-hmm. aspect. And then that psychology, psychological side of things, which is what I was studying human sexuality um, and psychology mm-hmm. at the time. So I was like, well, these two kind of paths are, are leading towards the same thing. They, they're trying to better your mental health. They're trying to better your sexual health. They're trying to better your, your experience as a human. And so I was really you know, fascinated by the fact that there was these two base camps that didn't really talk to one another a lot. You know, there was either you're a, you're a body-based practitioner, you study massage and sexological body work and other types of yoga, maybe modalities, stuff to do with the body, or right, you're a, a talk-based therapist, you're a psychologist, you're a psychotherapist, you're a sexologist, and you don't overlap at all. Um, and then there's this like big weird gray area in the middle. So I was like, well, I'm, I'm gonna try and pursue both of these things. Um, so I, I graduated with a degree in psychology, wanted to continue studying the academic side of things. So pursued counseling, pursued mental health, um, sexology, um, got a postgraduate degree. But I was also at the same time studying, you know, I got my yoga accreditation to become a yoga teacher, studying meditation, studying like um, not only classical tantra from a philosophical aspect, but also like neo-tantra, Californian style tantra, just like that sacred sexuality stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, experiential work and I was like okay cool I've got this like breadth of knowledge from different worlds what can I kind of do with this and sex therapy I kind of worked as a counselor for a little while but it didn't allow me it was quite stifling it didn't allow me to draw on a lot of the other modalities that I'd studied such as yoga and um, tantra and all these other things Um, it was like really limiting to only talk therapy so I was like well don't really want to be a therapist. I don't really want to be a counselor. I want to try and draw on a bunch of this other stuff. And I came across the um, profession of sex coaching through um, Patty Britton, actually, and got my sex coaching certification, got you know, accredited, got insurance, started doing all that you know, um, behind the scenes stuff to make sure that I was doing things ethically and above board and, and professionally. And yeah, started working as a, as a sex coach. And the, at, the, at the start of my sex coaching kind of career, I was working with everyone, everyone who I could get my hands on. I kind of had a bit of a scarcity mentality. I was like, I just got to, I got to get clients. I got to you know, make a business. I got to make money. I got to survive. Um, and that I felt was doing a disservice to people that I really couldn't connect with. And those people that I really couldn't connect with were you know, on, a, on a professional level were um, people that didn't share a lived experience with me. So I wanted to niche in, you know, cisgender, heterosexual men sex coaching, which is why I call myself a men's sex coach. Mm-hmm. Um, because that was my lived experience is, you know, not was, is my lived experience um, is a, you know, I'm a cisgender, heterosexual, probably heteroflexible if I really, you know, think about it, um, you know, person with a male body. And I didn't feel comfortable or I didn't feel it was appropriate for me to talk to women about womb work, for example, because I don't have a womb. So I don't know exactly what it feels like. Um, I didn't feel it was 
appropriate for me to talk. And again, this is a personal philosophy. I've got, I know people that work in industry that work with yeah. a whole bunch of different diverse people. But for me, my, my lived experience really tries, well, it really informs my, my coaching and informs the work that I do. And, and so now I kind of, the, the kind of mission I have at the moment is very, it's a very personal one. I try and speak to myself 10 years ago when I was 17, when I was 18 and the stuff that I was going through, the issues that I was facing, I try and be the person that I needed to hear from when I was going through those things. And so I, I speak really to my former self. Um, mm. And because I kind of, although the context might be different and the language I use might be different, I feel like the, um, the scenarios that I went through and the things that I went through are quite universal for a lot of men particularly. Um, and so that's why I think my work has resonated with a lot of men, particularly kind of men between that 20 to 35 age bracket, um, is because mm -hmm. I speak to things that are quite universal, experiences that are, that are quite um, common for, for men of that age. So that's kind of my mission at the moment is to, yeah, on a personal level, kind of speak to myself 10 years ago, um, but by virtue of doing that, just kind of challenging narratives around masculinity and sexuality and the, the, the link, the, in, the intersection between those two things. Because mm -hmm. there's a lot of stories out there about what it, quote unquote means to be a man or how men should express themselves sexually. And um, I just think they're really, they, they really box us in. Um, so I'm, I'm, yeah, my mission is to challenge a lot of those narratives and to, to offer alternatives and to rewrite, rewrite some of those stories. Mm, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. That's such an incredible journey, yet so common, I think, for a lot of people is to have these big, impactful experiences that shift the way they think about sexuality and relationships and how they want to show up and how they want to um, really move forward in life. And I think that's, that's what draws people to work with somebody like you or I is there, there's some spark of curiosity that ignites that says, um, you know, one of the things that I've heard you say is the difference between desperation or inspiration. It's like, is it the spark of like, this isn't just working for me, whether it's erectile dysfunction or premature ejaculation or some of those things. For women, it could be a whole other variety of different situations, but that spark of curiosity is really the magic of like, okay, how do we use this sexual energy to activate the light within people? That's something that I'm super passionate about. And I love how you've made the bridge of that intersection of like really looking in the gray area between, okay, there's the super sacred sexuality, spiritual side of things, but there's also some more traditional methods that are maybe not as much rooted in the spirituality and being able to weave the two together. It, it is really a sweet spot. And that was what you and I were talking about before we hit record is that's where the magic is with a lot of people is being able to bring this information to the masses, to the, to the matrix of sorts and being able to step into places where it's, the corporate world or professionals who are so focused on their career and what that looks like. Um, so I love that, that you just come from such a really unique place and you make the work so tangible and easy to connect with. Um, I want to kind of dive in because, you know, as we look at challenging the norm and having some of these conversations to bring that intersection and start to make it a really common conversation, we talk about the common perception of masculinity and some of those kind of more stereotypical or societal society accepted perspectives. Can we go into that a little bit about 
how society perceives masculinity and what some of the challenges are that are, that are associated with that. Yeah, sure. So, you know, there's, I've said this before, like there's no such thing in my mind as traditional masculinity, right? There's, and so, so when I hear all these culture warriors talking about, you know, traditional masculinity being under attack, I'm like, well, who's whose traditions are we talking about which traditional masculinity are we talking about are we talking about traditional masculinity from you know um the paleolithic era that's you know that that's a tradition in a sense um or are we talking about traditional masculinity based on the traditions of the boy scouts and how they present you know um, their concept of masculinity or are we talking about uh you know uh, the jewish kind of concepts of masculinity or are we talking about the christian ideology of masculinity like whose traditions are we are we talking about and i think there's this like unspoken um agreement or this unspoken assumption that when we use the word quote-unquote traditional masculinity we're talking about kind of white monolithic contemporary masculinity you know there's there's not a lot of room for nuance there and so when we're talking about like traditional masculinity being under attack and and um and that being you know an unhealthy um thing today or you know the word toxic masculinity kind of gets thrown around i kind of think well that's all well and good and you can say that but i think a more interesting conversation to have is well what are these traditions of of masculinity and which traditions are unhealthy quote unquote unhealthy which traditions are beneficial or healthy and um and which ones maybe need to be reframed or um or adjusted to to contemporary modern society which is the society that we kind of live in um so i kind of think like an example of that for you know just off the top of my head is like um this idea of, of protecting the family right like a, a quote-unquote traditional you know masculine value is like uh, you're the you're the breadwinner or you're the the you know person who who protects the family protects the tribe whatever it is and that you know has had taken up different roots in different cultures and different societies and obviously there's more conversation to have but it's something that a lot of people agree on is like you're the man of the house right that's this mm-hmm. kind of idea um and you know back in our ancestral you know history i suppose maybe that looked like being a fighter and fighting off other tribes people or fighting off a saber-toothed tiger or depending on where you're going with it you know it, it oftentimes looked quite aggressive and quite violent but we don't necessarily need to do that today for example, we don't need to fight off people. We don't need to protect by um, being aggressive or being violent. One of the ways we can protect you know, our family today, just to, as a reframe of this particular value, is by making sure they've got you know, a, a roof over their head, by making sure that our kids are um, you know, emotionally competent and they're able to deal with the stresses and anxieties from the society around us that's a way that's one way of protecting them you know it's making sure that they're able to um you know that that they're healthy that they're getting good nutrition they're putting good food into their body and they're not eating shit and junk food and things like that so there's you know this concept of like okay protecting the family yeah sure but how is that showing up in contemporary modern society and and i think you know when we start saying that you know there's there's um uh, I suppose difficulties of being a being a, a man or difficulties being you know masculine I suppose one of the ways I think we can kind of work through that is by reframing some of these things that people hold on to with regards to like you know masculinity 
ideology, I suppose. So I don't know, I went on a bit of a tangent there, but <laughs> one of the, uh, that's just something that I thought was important to kind yeah. of give voice to. But some of the things that I see um, men, particularly, you know, cishet men going through today, and, and one of the reasons why it's kind of a, a struggle for a lot of these guys is um, what Paul Kivel used to call the, the man box culture. There's kind of this idea that we've got a set of, um, rules unspoken agreements about what it quote-unquote means to be a man and if you don't follow those rules if you don't fit into that box of what it means to be a man then you typically get ostracized um, by mm. the men that are conforming to that box um, you'll you'll get bullied um, things you know there's a lot of name calling i suppose in the um, locker rooms and when young boys are playing and oftentimes it's um, a way of revoking your status as a man, revoking your, your man card, for example. Um, and so you'll get called gay or you'll get called a pussy or you'll get called all these words that sort of denigrate femininity in a sense. So you're masculinity, at least you know, if you follow someone like um, I.W. Connell and the way that um, they talk, talk about things is not necessarily really clearly identified as what masculinity is, but oftentimes it's usually like what femininity isn't. So like if you're, if you're, if you're considered feminine or if you're considered, uh, you know, emasculated or if you're all these other things, then you're not a man, but what does it actually mean to be a man? But there's no real kind of stock standard definition. We, we know when you're not a man, if you fall into all these other categories, but to give a, a clear definition of what it actually means to be masculine is quite elusive. Um, mm. And so that's a, a kind of like a, a miniature cauldron of what, it, what a lot of the issues are for, for men kind of today that I work with is they've got a lot of like ideas about what they should be or they've also actually got a lot of ideas, if I'm really true, they've got a lot of ideas of, of what they shouldn't be, right? They, they shouldn't mm. be doing this, they shouldn't be doing that. They, they need to look a certain way, they need to perform a certain way. Um, and so they, they get quite stifled and they get quite distressed when all these expectations about what you should and shouldn't be um, box them into this little thing and they, they don't fit into that box because a lot of men don't. Um, you know, only a small percentage mm. of men actually fit into this man box culture. So, um, and then with regards to sexuality, there's a whole bunch more stuff, but that's, that's pretty much the crux of... of of the the masculinity crisis quote-unquote crisis if you want to call it mm. that at the moment yeah um so many different layers to go into with that and i think you know when we look at kind of the next segue in i see is really looking at how do you help people find what their unique authentic expression is of masculinity i i know that you know it, it all starts with the self and really connecting with, okay, what feels most authentic to me and kind of reframing a lot of those past ideologies and experiences to find something that does feel in alignment for, for self. Um, so talk to me a little bit about how you help reframe some of those perspectives and really dive in to be able to give men the confidence to express those desires and express some of those, those areas that are maybe outside the box. Uh, totally. The, um, the launchpad that I use for conversations with men around this is the science, is the the data and the evidence, and and um, there's like this kind of unacknowledged 
um, assumption that a lot of men have and sometimes it's overtly acknowledged in some specific kind of misogynistic underground men's groups that you know men are and women are wired a certain way biologically evolutionarily you know we've we're we're, we're a certain way and and that's it and if you know if we're deviating from that then we're deviating from the natural law of the way that we were designed as human beings um and so there's like a little bit of truth to you know the way that we're hardwired biologically and um you know we maybe would call that if we only adhere to those things we would call that um you know biological reductionism and you know saying that we're only we're a slave to our instincts and we're a slave to our you know the mechanisms in our body and we've got no free will or anything else like this and that's a whole different kind of kettle of fish and conversation to go down but a lot of men inherently i would say or maybe just kind of um that's that's the way that they're kind of being taught is is to is to kind of believe that and to follow that regardless of whether they kind of voice it and intellectualize it a lot of them just kind of like intuitively feel that that is the case and so the way that i start breaching these conversations with them is by introducing some data some evidence about um the diversity of masculinity i suppose or the diverse range of um, how men are able to show up in the world and how men are showing up in the world in other areas and other societies and other cultures um, and just kind of breaking down that kind of stranglehold that this biological understanding of the way that you know men are supposed to be has on a lot of guys minds um, whether they kind of admit it or not um, so that's the, that's kind of launch pad is I, I kind of use some some science use some evidence to be like hey we're not as rigid as you know you might think we are you know as people may have told you here's some other you know ways that kind of factually uh evidenced that we can express our masculinity it's like okay cool so guys go well all right so i don't necessarily need to be a slave to this certain way and i don't need to fit this box so rigidly um i can kind of open myself up a little bit so that kind of you know i kind of think of this as like kind of opening the door a little bit um mm. and then to really push that door open then we start to do some of that that work that you were referring to which is that inner work i suppose like i, I encourage a lot of guys to um experiment and to explore uh, I, I try and not be very dogmatic with the work that I do um, because I find that as soon as I start using universals or as soon as I start saying that you need to do this or you have to do this or it's this way or the highway, then it turns a lot of guys off from the work. So I, I do a lot of um, inviting and encouraging and supporting and experimenting with the guys and I, um, I you know, ask them to experiment with you know, exploring other parts, like a real typical example uh, around sexuality is exploring other parts of their body when it comes to self-pleasuring or masturbating. And uh, again, because one of the really narrow, rigid views around male sexuality is that guys can only feel pleasure in their cock and they have to have an erection to feel pleasure mm -hmm. and their pleasure culminates with an ejaculation. That's the peak of their experience. Um, mm -hmm. And it's quite linear, and it's quite narrow, and it's quite simple. But, you know, that's obviously not the case. And the reason why I do the work is because that's, I know that's not the case, and we, I can back that up with a lot of evidence as well. Um, so uh, one of the invitations that I give to guys is, okay, when you're masturbating, when you're self-pleasuring, that's a big reframe as well from masturbating to self-pleasuring. 
is you know, explore other areas of your body. You don't have to be so rigid. You don't have to only focus on your genitals. You don't have to only focus on ejaculation. You don't even have to have an erection, you know, and start mm-hmm. to just nudge that door open a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more so that they go, well, actually, this feels really, really good. I don't even have an erection right now. I didn't even ejaculate. You know, I'm not even focusing on my genitals and, and they start to feel pleasure in their body um, and experience their sexuality in a new way. And once, once things start kind of clicking for them experientially uh, you know, in their body, they kind of have that experience, then things you know, start to go off for them in terms of light bulb moments. Mm. Oh my God, I've been doing this my whole life. Oh my God, my partner, I've been doing this with her. Or, you know, and, and so they go, okay, now that I've you know, had my body's learnt, my mind can kind of catch up and, and, um, and rewrite or reconstruct those stories that I have about my expression of masculinity and sexuality. And then it's just kind of a bit of a snowball effect from there. Once they kind of get a few things under their belt, they're like, oh, wow, there's so much more to this. And that's where that kind of deeper exploration or, or that deep dive into this work can really start happening when they start to get a bit of that momentum. Mm, I love that, uh, that the visual of just kind of like, let's creak the door open just a little bit and start to explore and start to feel things differently. You know, I do a lot of work with cisgender women body uh, because that's my experience. And I also speak to a lot of times their heterosexual male partners and like helping to nudge that door open a little bit of being able to break out of some of those very linear um, norms and perspectives. And so, you know, the work that you do is so great. And I think one of the big invitations that you make to really like kick the door open a little bit and start to reframe things differently is, is the platform that you use of your coaching course on outperforming a porn star. Um, I love that. I think it, it's a really catchy and like way to nudge on the curiosity. Um, but it does take some of that reframing and changing the perspective around what are some of those expectations and how do you start to open the door so that you can see all the different perspectives. So tell us a little bit about what the foundation is of that and how you got to outperforming a porn star um, as yeah. one of your platforms. I will. The, um, the, <laughs> the name actually came from a friend of mine. He was he's an ex-marketer and he was just kind of chatting to me i gave him a little bit of advice and he was like hey i've got this kind of name that i don't know it just kind of came to me and he was like you should you should use this you should you know call something that you offer this and and he came up with outperform a porn star and at the time i was still kind of leaning towards more of the spirituality side of things so i you know kind of popped it on the back shelf and i was like yeah that's a cool name thanks man I'll, i'll maybe i'll use that later on um and as i kind of slowly um, transitioned I suppose from like leaning towards the more spiritual side of things to probably now leaning towards more of the academic scientific side of things and I still try and strike a balance between those two but I probably am more on the um, that kind of corporate side I would say um, mm. the the name kind of came back to me I was like oh you know what I talk a lot about porn I talk a lot about like what sex looks like on screen um, I talk a lot about performance anxiety i talk a lot about Mm. um you know uh, overcoming these kind of narratives that we have around sex and sexuality and a lot of guys get their education from porn i was like oh what was that name again and so i went and found my mate's um message and outperform porn star just kind of rang really true to me and i was like Mm. i was like okay cool i I love the name but i want to i want to yeah it's a bit of a tongue-in-cheek reference i suppose the name to the idea of performance Uh, because a lot of guys 
have this idea that they need to perform in the bedroom and and they get that from porn they get that from their mates who also watch porn they get it from the women in their lives who also watch porn who don't have any other education they you know it's it's kind of ubiquitous it's everywhere this idea that if you're a guy you need to perform a certain way in the bedroom and if you don't perform then you're less of a man or you won't satisfy your partner or all, all these other negative things um, and so that performance piece kind of looks like okay you need to be able to get an erection really quickly you need to be able to maintain an erection for you know if, if porn's anything to go off 45 <laughs> minutes to two hours um, you need to be able to like thrust away like a machine for you know indefinitely um, you know, your erection needs to be like rock hard as well it can't you know two mess or d mess it can't you know um, lose any firmness and you need to have like that money shot at the end you need to have that ejaculation at the end so again we get this like really rigid really narrow um, what Bernie Zilbergel used to call the fantasy land of um, like men and sex and pleasure and so a lot of guys see that being really epitomized and portrayed on screen by the by these adult performers by these male porn stars you know the these guys you know, um, have big erections they pump away like a machine like a piston for an hour on end and then they have a big money shot at the end and and so it's like um, porn sex is really epitomizing that that fantasy idea that we have about like what male sexuality should be um, and so a lot of guys think that they need to perform to that level. They need to actually get to that. Um, and that's, you know, what they aspire to do. Um, so this idea of outperforming a porn star kind of plays on that um, aspiration that a lot of guys have. And that's the kind of, that's the hook, that's the catch um, that draws them in. Uh, but then when the content of the course is kind of introduced, I really try and subvert that whole notion. Um, what I mean by that is I reframe performance and to to do that i introduce a bunch of um information about male porn stars and also their their female co-stars about the sex that they're having and how little they enjoy the sex that they're having on screen and how a lot of these guys um just kind of go through the motions they actually don't experience a lot of pleasure um how the guys you know uh, bite the inside of their cheek or you know pinch their their leg fat um, to inflict a little bit of pain on themselves so that their erection, you know, so their, their kind of erection is maintained and they're not focusing on ejaculating, they're focusing on the pain that they're experiencing so they can last a little bit longer. Um, and how guys are doing multiplication and long division in their head, again, to try and almost numb themselves out so that they can just kind of get through the scene um, and not actually focus on any pleasure that they're experiencing um, and then eventually uh, get paid, right? So, um, so this idea of like, okay, you know, if these guys aren't actually really enjoying themselves, if they're actually not experiencing any pleasure, then if you were actually enjoying yourself and actually experiencing pleasure, and on top of that, you know, I use a lot of interviews from female porn stars who say that the sex that they're having is not very enjoyable and that they like having sex off screen way more than they do on screen. So I say, well, if, if you were with a partner, and she was also enjoying herself and actually in, you know, experiencing pleasure and actually wanted to be there, then just by virtue of you actually having a pleasurable time, regardless of what it looked like, you'd already be outperforming these guys. Mm. You'd already be you know, having better sex than them anyway. Um, and then I you know, you go even deeper with that and we talk about um, you know, how many of these 
male porn stars are actually having uh, multiple orgasms. You know, you, mm. zero, none. You know, so if you could learn how to have multiple orgasms, I mean, you'd already be outperforming them. You know, it, how many of them are having uh, energetic, full body orgasms or experiencing you know head to toe pleasure? None of them. You know, so if you could actually do that, then you'd be way light years ahead of these guys. Um, and similar, like how many of these guys are actually asking the women in the scene what it is that they want? Actually, you know, asking them what turns them on, what 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 do you find pleasurable? You know, what can I do to help bring you to orgasm? It's a very very small number of guys that are actually doing that. So if you could do that, if you could learn how to have those conversations, how to invite your partner into her pleasure as well, then you again be outperforming all these guys so um, turning performance well that performance mindset on its head a little bit and I introduced this idea of the pleasure mindset so um, pleasure over performance and and so that's like the way that I talk about performance in 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 the course and the way that I think it's um, should be framed and, and again that, mm. that kind of outperform porn star is a bit of a tongue-in-cheek to that uh, idea that a lot of guys have which is I need to you know look a certain way and perform a certain way um, and I kind of go, well, you, you can, and that's one way of doing it. But if that's the only way you're doing it, then, you know, look where it's got you so far. And also that gets pretty boring pretty quickly if that's the only way you're having sex. So, um, you know, here's a, here's a whole bunch of new ways that you can experience pleasure. And, um, and that reframe for a lot of guys, it tends to just open up their whole, their whole world, their whole sex life. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And, you know, I talk a lot about that pleasure over performance with a lot of the women that I work with as well is, you know, a lot of the women are focused on, again, their experience comes from watching porn or what their partners are telling them. And, and so it's like, oh, if I bend this way or I move this way, they're going to look at this wrinkle. And it's like, they're probably not looking at the wrinkles or whatever is happening with your body. And so to help shift and reframe that perspective is to say there's so much more to experience when it comes to pleasure, different than just focusing on that end goal of ejaculation. And I think that is a big reframe for most people when it comes to expanding their perspective of sexuality is that ejaculation can be separate from orgasm and that that's a choice that you can have and, and the type of pleasure that you can experience is really limitless once you can truly connect with it. Yes, 100%. That's a huge, um, a huge, uh, like learning piece. Like a, that's a big, you know, the, the penny drops massively for guys when they learn physiologically, which is the way that I teach it, that you can separate orgasm from ejaculation because they're two separate physiological processes that happen independently of one another. And so as soon as guys like kind of learn that, they're like, oh, what? Like my whole life has kind of been a lie. Um, and they, uh, and then so once that's kind of conceptualized, then it's like, okay, cool. How do I do that? What do I do to learn that? And then we go through a whole process of learning. And that whole process is one of the ways of, you know, a big piece for me that I, the way that I teach the separation of those two things, because there's heaps of different ways to teach it, is to focus on pleasure that you're experiencing in areas of your body other than your genitals, other than your cock. Um, that's one of the big pieces of, of teaching that I you know, give to guys on this journey is you know, if you're focusing only on your cock, if you're focusing, focusing only on the pleasure that you experience in your genitals, then that's going to build and build and build until you pop essentially and you're going to ejaculate. So if you're able to shift your focus to another area of your body and focus on pleasure in that area, then you take away the, um, that kind of desire or that, in, that 
intense feeling that you need to ejaculate and you're actually focusing on pleasure in, in other areas. So, um, but yeah, that's a huge learning piece for people. Yeah, I love that. And I think another thing that tends to kind of get in the way of shifting from that pleasure over performance perspective is presence and being really rooted in the present moment. So what would be a little nugget of something that you could give to mostly men that are struggling with that, that presence piece, because there is so much pressure of performance and what it should look like, what it should feel like, and, and starting to shift out of that cock-centered pleasure and focusing on full-bodied pleasure. How do you recommend them that they stay deeply present in the moment? Um, well, I like to give like a really practical definition of what presence is. So, cause it's a bit of buzzword in the spirituality community, but I want to give like a really, okay, here's a definition that you can, you know, take this to the bank, um, is being present means noticing fully all the sensations that you have in your body at that given moment. So, you know, and, and, and that's obviously that's, you can exponentially expand that that presence right if that's the definition because you can always be more aware of sensations that you're feeling you can that it's constantly changing so presence is always in according to that definition moment by moment as well right so it's always calling you back into what you're feeling right now in your body in a physical way right so if I like kind of tune into my body right now I'm I've been standing for you know the last 45 minutes so I kind of feel a little bit of tension in my lower back because I know I've got some um, stress and some tightness in there. Kind of feel the balls of my feet. I feel the I feel my knees. Um, I kind of feel the looseness in my chest and my shoulders as I'm talking. Um, so I'm kind of noticing what does I feel. But the next moment that I check in, oh, I notice something new. I notice something different. So being present is again, you know, in a real practical sense, is just kind of noticing what you're feeling in your body when you check in in that specific moment. Um, and the, the reason why that's at least that practical definition, you know, again, my opinion is so powerful is because a lot of guys, when they start having sex or they start being sexual, they, they go up here into their mind. They go up into, oh my God, am I going to last long enough? Oh my God, I hope don't come so soon. Oh my God, is she going to find me attractive? Oh my God, she's so hot. Yeah, and there's a lot of thoughts that start going on um, that bring them out of their body and into their head, which is again, the head is part of the body. So, you know, noticing that, noticing the sensations that you have in your mind or in your um, you know, brain or, or in your vision um, that is part of like being present with what you're feeling, but it's also important to then notice, okay, well, if that's going on, what else am I feeling in my body? Let me just kind of bring myself back into other areas of sensation, other areas of physical feelings in my body. Um, so one of the pieces of advice that I give to guys is, when they start maybe feeling a bit of performance anxiety or they, they start getting in their head when they're being sexual with their partner or by themselves uh, is to bring themselves back to their fingertips, bring themselves back to their hands. So start touching something, uh, touching their chest, touching their partner, um, touching, an, uh, touching an object. I've got a mic in front of me, so touching an object or touching something using your fingertips, using your hands really, really gently, really, really slowly and bring your awareness all the way down into your fingertips and notice what you're feeling. Notice, you know, exactly what's going on in your body, in those fingertips right there and then and focus on that sensation. Um, and then you can kind of build from there. You can start to move your way up your arms and across the rest of your body. Mm. Um, so that's like a real, just easy practical thing that guys can do if they start feeling like they're getting a bit out of control in their mind is to bring themselves back into their fingertips.
And I love that. That's a great recommendation. And I think the other piece when we look at um, being present and then presence is like being able to have that energetic presence and how you show up and how you resonate and how you connect with a partner. Um, one of the things you talk about is your sexual embodiment model, which I love the tangibility of it and the way that you, you communicate it. But it's not only like the self others and spirit, but it, it also to me has this element of being able to drop into vulnerability and being able to connect on a deeper level. And so um, a lot of the men that I've worked with that are in partnership and their partners are, are desiring their men to show up in more of a vulnerable space and connect with that energy. Um, there's a, some fear and some resistance about like, well, if I go in, what if it goes too deep? So can you kind of speak to that piece of vulnerability and maybe weave in some of the things that you talk about with your sexual embodiment model and how it all supports each other? Sure, sure. Um, yeah, I guess transitioning from presence into, into like a partnered experience where vulnerability is a key piece is like, and and to speak into like that energetic style of presence as well is is if you're with a partner if you're with you know you, uh, a sexual partner whoever it is and you notice something come up in your body if you notice some tension in your chest if you notice some tightness in your belly whatever it is tension in your jaw very very often that is a reflection of what's happening in your partner's body we you know through entrainment we connect to um, the person in front of us, if we've got like a really, um, if I often kind of use this analogy of like, okay, imagine you're sitting in front of a person having dinner and you know, you, you're having a real good conversation. You're both leaning in, you're just kind of like vibing one another. They fucking, you know, it's, it's gone really well. The atmosphere is good. You'll notice that you know, you'll do, do things, you'll mimic each other and you'll do things together. You'll, you'll oftentimes, you know, mimic each other's postures and things like that. Same thing happens when we're being sexual, um, or we're being intimate, or we're being close to a, a, a sexual partner. Is if if we notice something come up in our body, if we notice some tension or tightness come up, typically it's a reflection of what's kind of happening in, in our partner's body. We might notice some hesitation in them. We might notice some tension in them as well. So if you can, you know, be present with what it is that you're feeling, oftentimes that's an indicator of what's kind of going on with your partner as well. So what can you do in that moment to alleviate some of that tension? What can you do in that moment to ask? You know, if if you can help alleviate some of their tension, you know, or, or whatever it might be, so you know, that presence can then be kind of energetically extended to the person that's in front of you or the persons that that are in front of you, um, and so that kind of leads into this idea of like being vulnerable, right? And it's kind of like you know, if you notice something come up for you, if you notice some shame or some guilt or some tension, physical or or emotional come up for you when you're in that space probably also happening for your partner as well they're probably also noticing it i often share with guys that um women typically are way more tuned into the energetics of a sexual experience than we are as guys so if something's coming up for you um and you're you think you're doing a pretty good job of like not showing it i'm gonna hazard a guess and say she's probably picked up on it and she probably can feel what's kind of going on um so if, if some shame or some resentment or whatever it is kind of comes up for you and you feel that in your body because you're being present with it, you're paying attention to it, it can be really, really beneficial to, to share that, to say, hey, um, I'm just kind of a bit nervous at the moment because um, I haven't had sex for a little while and, and I really find you attractive or whatever it is in that moment, um, giving voice to it. Not only will you alleviate that tension that's in your body, 
Um, you will also invite your partner into that vulnerability as well. So one of the things that I talk about with men a lot is um, sexual leadership. And this is leadership, not from like a hierarchical perspective, but from like a lateral perspective where you're leading by example, pretty much like your, your vulnerability gives permission to your partner to be vulnerable as well and to kind of deepen that intimacy and to come more into that space. Um, you know, taking the lead kind of looks like creating that safe container, looks like helping facilitate that space so that your partner feels comfortable. And that's kind of vice versa as well. There's a, um, a, a, a conversation that's not really being had, which I haven't really seen a lot of people talking about is like, how do we help men feel safe so that they can be vulnerable so that then they can invite that vulnerability from their partner into that space. So um, and actually uh, I had a, a good conversation with um, a guy over in um, Austria, his name's uh, Lauren Kren, and he spoke about acknowledging your partner's vulnerability or just acknowledging, like, it doesn't even have to be vulnerability, but acknowledging whatever's going on for them. So fully, like, kind of seeing them, fully witnessing them and just being like, hey, um, I think he used the example of, like, um, what did he say? Um, his partner said to him, hey, babe, love the way you... Um, you're a warrior right then the way you stood up for yourself the way you stood up for me or you know um, the way that you showed up in this space like it you know it, it you know I, I saw that I acknowledge that like it's you know and it's not just mm -hmm. a superficial thing like oh you were so hot just yeah. then or whatever it was but it was like hey I saw you your soul the 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 energy that was coming through you that kind of mm -hmm. vulnerable piece of the puzzle that you were kind of you know maybe that insecurity that you kind of you know come came through in, in the way that you stood up for yourself or whatever it was um acknowledging that he's got those emotions acknowledging that he's got the, that that kind of deeper um experience is one way that in a heterosexual kind of couple um, well, no, i guess it doesn't have to be heterosexual but just any couple can help the man in that that relationship feel a bit more comfortable expressing his vulnerability if he feels seen in it if he feels kind of um witnessed and and if he feels kind of held in that space uh, and it's not going to scare uh, her off or, or him off or it's not going to scare mm -hmm. his partner off um so I, I think i went on a bit of a tangent there i don't know if i fully answered no that. you're you're right <laughs> on track i love it <laughs> um, it's like that um i guess that that um model that i use that in uh, sexual embodiment model is um you know, kind of it speaks into relationship you know one of those relationships that we have is um if we kind of harken back to presence is your relationship with yourself. Like how do you relate to your, to your own body? How do you relate to your own sexuality? How do you relate to your own mental health? Like how do you relate to, you know, what's your relationship like with yourself in, in, and all of yourself? Um, but then we also have like a couple of other relationships. And uh, these aren't necessarily in a chronological order, but I typically, you know, frame them this way. It's like, okay, now that you recognize your wholeness, your fullness, you kind of understand yourself a little bit more and you recognize there's probably something deeper there. There's probably something more than just you in this world. There's probably something more than just this physical meat puppet that you're in. You know, there's something that's kind of embodying and imbuing you with consciousness. Yeah, and that's, that's usually the word that I use because that resonates with me more. But what's your relationship like with consciousness? What's your relationship like with spirit or with source or with God or with... Um, Allah or with Gaia or with Krishna and Shiva or, or whatever your language is for it, what is your relationship like with them, with this thing that's more metaphysical, I suppose, or something that's like greater than just yourself? And 
once you start to recognize that you have a relationship with that, regardless of what your, what your language is for it, then you can start to recognize that same relationship in other people as well. You start to go, whoa, this other person, they've also got, they're also imbued with consciousness. They're also part of um, the planet. They're also part of my tribe. You know, or they also have spirit, or they're also a son of God, or whatever it is. And so you start to then develop this kind of third relationship, which is the relationship with this other person or other people in general. And whether that's a family member or a religious authority or a child or a lover or a business partner, but you start to learn how to relate to them and how to bring, um, I, I use the word sacredness, um, into, into all three of those relationships. Uh, and, and so that kind of, um, I suppose the, the examples that I've been using kind of follow that chronological order of being like, okay, I'm noticing what's going on in my body. Uh, I'm noticing that this is kind of coming up for me. I recognize that there's kind of this container, this energetic space that we've kind of created between myself and my partner. I want to honor that and I want to, you know, put something into that space. Um, and so I'm going to share what's coming up for me. I'm going to share my insecurities here um, and I'm going to deepen my relationship with the person in front of me. So you're kind of covering all those three relationships relating to yourself, relating to that energetic space, and then relating to the person that's in front of you. Um, so that's typically one of the ways that I, I share with, with guys about how to be more vulnerable, I think, is, is yeah, just tuning more into what you're feeling and then having the courage, right? It's, it's pretty brave, scary thing to do um, to, to be vulnerable. I think um, Brene Brown's definition of vulnerability mm. is... Um, risk-taking and emotional exposure right because it's a it's a risk to kind of share especially like one of the things that i do a lot of work with guys is like asking for what you want asking for for things that you desire sexually that's quite a vulnerable thing to do is to ask you know your partner if we can do this specifically if it's like a if it's a bit of a kink or a bit of a fetish or or something that's you know a bit taboo outside the norm because you're, you're taking a risk. You don't know if your partner's going to say yes or you don't know if your partner's going to shame you or you don't know if your partner's going to leave you or you know all these things. Um, it's, it's, it's a risky business. Um, and then it's also emotionally exposing because you're kind of wearing your heart on your sleeve. You're like, this is what turns me on. This is part of my soul here. This is what, you know, my, my, you know, I'm a big believer that our sexuality is inextricably linked to kind of who we are as a person, um, as a human being. So if you're expressing one of your desires... You're, you're, you're expressing part of your, your innermost self. You're expressing part of like what makes you you. Um, so you, you have this kind of emotional exposure as well. Um, so it's a pretty big thing to be able to do, um, which is why it's, a lot of people don't do it because it's quite scary. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, I don't know, I guess we're on a bit more of a tangent there, but hopefully that was answering your question in a roundabout yeah. way. No, I think that that's a, it was a beautiful answer. Um, again, it's just, that is, there's the risk, there's the fear to drop into that vulnerability space. But when you can connect with self, when you can connect with source or consciousness, and then learn how to bring it together as you're relating with others, I think it does take a lot of courage. And I love the idea of sexual leadership. And I think kind of to allude into the the feminine role of how do, you, how do the women sexually lead and create the space where it's okay for the men to drop into that vulnerability and, and being able to express that. Um, 
a lot of times, you know, in passing when I'm communicating with women at networking groups or things and they're like, where are all the good men at? Where are all the conscious men at? Is a thing that I'm sure you've heard often. And so I always like to encourage to say, hey, lead by example, communicate what you want. And if you want a different type of experience, you have to sometimes take the lead to be able to give permission that it's okay to express in a certain certain way. And um, that sexual leadership is a really powerful perspective. And um, I think it can kind of go back and forth between who's taking that lead and being able to create that space overall. Mm, totally. Like, and, and you don't want to, like, I see a lot of women um, coaching their men. So a lot of women go through, um, again, this is my observation, but we'll go through some sort of sexuality training or we'll do some sort of um, you know, personal development and, and sexuality included in that. And then they'll be like, okay, I want to, like, this is where I'm at. And now I want, you know, like you kind of shared, where's my, when, where my, where's my conscious man at? Mm-hmm. And so they'll get into a relationship and then they'll, they'll fall into that role or kind of slip into it unknowingly of coaching now their partner into their sexual awakening or their sexual embodiment. And that is one of the most detrimental things you can do in a relationship is be your partner's coach. Um, <laughs> you are your partner's partner. You're your, your lovers. You're, you're, you're in a relationship. You're not a coach and a client. You're not a um, teacher and a student. Because when you set that dynamic up, yeah, a bunch of things can happen. But essentially yeah. the relationship, the relationship as lovers will break down. Um, and so, um, so I, see, I, I unfortunately see a lot of women who are kind of looking for th- that type of man in their life step unknowingly into that role of coach um which is you know where i think sexual leadership and that idea is is really important to understand because then you can go okay i'm not being a coach right now i'm going to take that hat off and i'm just going to be with my partner and take the lead a little bit more and take and be that sexual leader um and again like you said that's a fluid kind of relationship that can be to whoever it is in the relationship um but yeah, being a sexual leader is yeah one of the ways that you can then kind of bring your partner into the space that you maybe want to create or that you're looking for um, rather than doing it from that coaching place, which is mm-hmm. a, a little bit different and, and, and not the domain of lovers. Yeah, I think that that's such an important piece when when they're both kind of coming from that flipped role, it can it can cause a lot of challenges. And, you know, I think one of the things I coach my people on is being able to really reflect on, okay, why is this thing coming up for you? Why is this the, the reason or what is the key point that you want to dive into here? And I help people look through kind of three lenses. So what's the purpose? Why does it, why does it really exist? What's the intention and how you want to go about it? So how do you want to lead that experience and what, how do you want to be perceived? How do you want this interaction to go? And what do you want it to feel like? And really diving into that piece and then, okay, if these things happen, what's the impact going to be? Because especially when I coach from a corporate perspective, I think there's so much disconnect and challenges that come from, first of all, not understanding the root purpose of why things are happening or why you want certain things to happen. And when there is a disconnect between intention and impact where we can have great intentions to lead and help our partners experience what we want to sexually, but the impact can sometimes get missed if 
if there's maybe that mismatch of like coaching your partner rather than coming from a place of equal lovers. And so mm -hmm. I like looking through that lens of saying, okay, well, if you can both reflect on the purpose, intention, and impact of this experience of how you want to be lovers and what you want your sexual experiences to be, then you can use it as, as a dialogue and a conversation to at least start the journey together and come from an equal playing field. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, because leadership, especially in that sexual sense, is not about um, like it's it's leading from a place of caring about your partner. Right? It's it's you know it's um, if you if you don't deeply care about the person you're trying to lead sexually, then you're going to do more harm than good. You know, and I, so I think there's a lot of you know like you said intention behind it um but the way that a lot of people you know they, they have a lot of positive intentions but they haven't been given the tools i suppose to mm -hmm. step into that sexual leadership role and so the impact that they have is um ends up being maybe uh not what they're looking for or, or worse rather than good so um yeah. yeah that's one of the one of the really important things that i like to share about that sexual leadership piece is that you're leading because you care deeply about this person you're not it's not that kind of like corporate leadership maybe in that mm -hmm. old school you know hierarchy where you're like yeah i'm just being this leader and i'm just kind of telling people what to do you're kind of leading from that space of like hey i'm i deeply care and honor you and i want to you know share this with you and i i, I want to bring this out mm -hmm. of you as well so um yeah that's a really important thing to be mindful of Mm, I love that. Well, I want to honor, honor time. And I think that that's a really beautiful place to kind of wrap up is to know that like your partners are doing this because they care. They, they want to be good lovers. They want to fuck you well. They want to show up and be your partners in life in whatever form that may be. And um, I just think that the work you're doing is so important. So I'm so grateful for you to spend our, spend your time. Um, You've got a lot of great ways that people can connect with you and work with you. So tell us a little bit about how people can do that if they have the desire to do so. Um, the two main ways, if you want to follow my work or get in touch with me, would be through Instagram, which is at the Cam Fraser. It's F-R-A-S-E-R. And then I've also got my website, which is cam-fraser.com. And all my offerings and uh, I do a lot of free content as well, a lot of free educational content on my Instagram. So if you want to learn something, I often say, if you want to learn something new, um, head to my Instagram account because that's where I do a lot of educating. Mm, I love it. And we'll make sure we put all the links in the show notes so that people can connect with you. And, you know, I know you just wrapped up your big retreat and I can't wait to come to the next one. So um, really looking forward to continuing our conversation. And with that, just want to give a little bit of gratitude to our guides and our team for tuning into this container. And so with that, thanks so much, Cam. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for joining me today. If you loved this episode, I deeply appreciate you subscribing and leaving a five-star review. Come join me online at soulsaturations.com or follow me on Instagram at soulsaturations. Feel free to slide into my DMs anytime and let me know what you love, what resonates, or any questions that you might have. And remember, only you can activate the light within.